0: I am an insufferable optimist. Always underestimating the amount of time it will take. Uh, I can get through that yellow light. Uh, How much something will cost. This morning, Janine and I were talking about a family reunion that we're hosting. I'm like, oh yeah, that couple can stay here, and that couple, and that family. She says, you realize that's 17 people for over a week. I'm like, oh. Yeah, you put it that way. So I've just got this uh ability to see something happening in more a wishful way than a hopeful way, you know. I think in the English language we use that word hope more like wish. That's uh oftentimes unrealistic. Like I hope the Brewers win the World Series. You know, that's like this sort of optimism that's unrealistic. It's almost like I hope the Brewers win uh, the Super Bowl, almost. You know, that not realistic sort of way. That's not quite the biblical term of hope. So we're, we're continuing the series of faith, hope, and love for our neighborhood. And we're on hope now for the month of May. So... Um, hope is different than faith. I'm not sure exactly how, but I know 1 Corinthians 13 says, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. There's a distinction between uh, faith and hope. In Hebrews 11, it says that uh, faith is assurance of things hoped for. So, Uh, Certainly, hope has more of this future reference and faith more immediate, like faith in Jesus, hope for the resurrection, that kind of uh, present tense and future tense. And I feel like with hope, there's still some mystery, like how it will work out and when it will work out are hidden. Yet you've got this sense that it will happen not exactly sure how or when. So it's this kind of future-looking commodity. In the, in the Hebrew scriptures, the word for hope, kava, is the same as the word for rope. So it's uh, picturing this tension, like this thing that can hold tension. And that the word kava has this sense of waiting, intention, with expectancy. And I think one of the really cool, though likely unintentional, pictures of this is the scarlet rope that Rahab hung out her window. So it's a story in the book of Joshua where the spies from the Hebrew people come and are hidden by a sex worker in Jericho. And uh, she says, God's on your side, I'm on your side. And uh, therefore, I'm going to hide you, and I'm going to help you slip out, but spare me and my family. And the spies are like, okay, you've got to hang this red rope out your window, so and we'll tell everyone, don't destroy anything that's in that home with the red wind, uh, red cord. So this picture of Rahab inside her place with her loved ones waiting expectantly as the walls of her life tumble around her. Like, for all practical purposes, it just seems like this is the end, yet she's waiting with hope and the tension and the, the beauty of this red cord, this red rope, as this picture of expectant waiting. That's the sense in the Hebrew. Uh, Greek is similar. It's got this sense of waiting with expect- Expectation, Of course, Rahab becomes the grandma, uh, a few greats, of the long-expected one, right? Hoping for the Jesus. So I love Rahab, and the red cord is this picture of hope as believing, these guys are going to be true to their word, even though the world is crashing in around me, yet I have hope. This expectation, and I'm going to wait here. Like, it's based, wishing, or the way we use hope, is often like my internal desire. Uh, I hope the brewers win. Uh, Whereas in the Hebrew and the Greek, there is a confidence in the character of the one in whom your hope is set. You know, so waiting outside in the rain because your very reliable friend said she would pick you up, that's the kind of expectant hope that you're willing to suffer consequences because you are convinced this person is true and it will happen. That's the picture of expectant hope that we get in Scripture. And so when I think about my hope for Justice in the world, in this neighborhood, it's got to be set on something besides wishful thinking. Uh, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of the Creator's throne, the Creator's place of authority. My confidence has to be based in the Creator's desire for justice. And righteousness and peace that 's where I struggle to to lay this sense of it will happen and not in the by and by, like I want to cultivate this hope, this expectancy in this neighborhood in the world for god's justice. Uh, because I am hoping to see, with conviction and with waiting and with working, I'm hoping to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's a that's a real quality to cultivate and to hold on to. Matthew, in chapter 12, is telling the story of Jesus' callous disregard, it seems, sometimes for the Sabbath. And he references this verse in Isaiah when he tells about Jesus uh, you know, keeping everyone quiet and yet acting in these radical ways that are bringing healing, uh, even on the Sabbath. Isaiah says about this Messiah figure that Matthew is connecting to Jesus, I'll put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations, He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And it's a kind of hope that exists in the midst of hopeless circumstances right it's not hope unless it looks hopeless or unless it looks unlikely so romans 8:24 talks about hope in this way hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have it's got to seem at least on the outside unlikely Because who hopes for what they already have? You don't have it, and therefore you hope for it. So in the case of justice, we wait for God's justice, the Prince of Peace, of his government and his peace, there'll be no end. Like, do we believe that or not? How do we hold on to that sense of hope? I like Matthew 6.33 because I, I believe we have a piece of this. Uh, Matthew 6.33. Uh, the way we sometimes memorize it is, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The way the NRSV puts it and uh, all of our scriptures have these footnotes that say, um, you know, some manuscripts put it this way. strive, First, for the kingdom and its righteousness, or its justice. Before food, before anything else, strive for the kingdom and its righteousness. So this sense of um, working and waiting in expectancy is the picture of hope that I feel like we get in, um, in Scripture. So what about this neighborhood? What is it that the people of this neighborhood are hoping for? How can we uh, hope for God's kingdom and strive for God's kingdom and its righteousness or and its justice here in this neighborhood? So I asked that of Tag Evers, the alder in this district. And uh, he talked about some people... Hoping for a reduction in crime, there's been a spike in carjackings and uh, And then Tag turned the conversation about hopelessness. And I thought what he had to say about hopelessness and the need to instill hope in the hopeless was really interesting. Here's what Tag had to say, if we can bring it up.
1: When kids lose hope for their own lives, when kids don't have a future that they can work toward, uh, it's not... Father Greg Boyle, the founder of Homeboy Industries speaks of a lethal absence of hope. Homeboy Industries being the world's largest gang intervention program in the country and he's written two fantastic books and I'm pretty sure you're familiar with his work and if not then I would strongly recommend uh, familiarizing yourself with what he's done and his call for radical kinship Um, because these kids then who have lost hope for their own lives often end up shooting at one another because you have to have a, a loss of hope to to pull out a gun and shoot at another human being, particularly at uh, somebody who you know, who somebody looks like you, somebody that um, maybe have a similar background and also a similar plight in life or similar, you know, situation. There's but there's a narrowness of choices, and and that those kind of violent impulses become an expression of that narrowness. So I hear about those concerns from white people in the the district and the the tension, uh, I mean, it's important to call it for what it is to a certain extent that if we get stuck in the fear about crime without going further and asking the questions, how is it that these things are happening? Our response will be simply that we need to hire more police. We need to crack down on these kids. We need to lock them up and make sure they don't get back out again. And we think strongly about punishment and retribution. And we don't think about what it means to intervene in a a young person's life and give them that missing ingredient, the hope the hope that their life could actually amount to something that they could have those vital connections, uh, you know, with mentors or with people who would come alongside and see them and love them for
0: who they are. Um, yeah, I really love that. Invitation to be planters of hope, instigators of hope. Especially in the lives of those who have been marginalized or excluded economically, there's pretty clear pathways that show economic exclusion often leads to a. Uh, Stopping of education, a dropping out, which often leads to other things. That, you know, it's this pathway that if you can instill hope in those who have been excluded, because their uh, gravitational pull will be like, hey, people don't care about me, about my family. Why are they going to care about anything I have to contribute? Even if I were to think I've got something to give. I doubt anyone's really going to want what I have to give because I feel like there are barriers to my integration into life and um, too many hurdles. So I just give up. Like, I stop caring because I see that there is no clear pathway. So um, I love Tag's challenge to us to think about being instigators of hope, especially in the lives of young people, especially in the lives of those who've been excluded. And this different um, tension with regard to justice. There are some who are like, oh, justice will be served if we get more young people behind bars. That's what justice looks like. Well, that's retributive justice. That's punitive justice. Restorative justice is... Not more kids behind bars, but more kids freed from uh, the prison of hopelessness. Like we need more freedom in kids, not more kids in jail. And so uh, that's the invitation that um, Tag Evers gives. And this idea of hope and a picture that there is a contribution, there's something that will happen. I'm ho- I'm hopeful because I have been assured and for those of us following Jesus, we're assured of the character of Christ and the character of God. It's living alongside despair. Hope and despair live together. You know, the, the book in the Bible that's got the most references to hope is the Psalms. The book in the Bible that's got the second most references to hope is Job. This this book about an existential crisis of the existence of evil, right? And not always is that word uh, positively referenced, you know, there's hope, you know, hope and hopelessness are in this battle in the book of Job. But the punchline of Job is, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. That's the sort of conclusion of the book. In the midst of everything going wrong around, yet I will hope. So cultivating hope, like how do you do that realistically? Here are some places that I struggle with hope. learned last week that uh, a friend from a minority group in China that I have, who's spent the last two years in a concentration camp, has just been sentenced to 14 years in prison. What's hope look like? This is someone who has uh, a conviction about God, someone we've talked about, the Lord Jesus. His brother chose to follow Jesus. Like, what does hope look like for me with a friend in those circumstances um i think about the the power of racism in our own country in our own neighborhoods in in our world really like what's hope what hope do we have for a reduction in this pernicious demonic sin stronghold and as i look at the world Suffering as a planet under probably some of the uh, most pernicious exploitation ever in human history, at least at the at the hands of humans, like what's hope look like for the environment District thirteen I mentioned last time tags concern economic disparity uh Opportunities, housing, disparity in housing, you know, some of the most expensive homes and some of the uh, most subsidized living places here in the district. It's Lazarus at the gate of the rich man here. Now, uh, it doesn't mean we don't grieve about these things. I don't grieve about my friend who's just been sentenced to 14 years in prison in China. But I don't grieve like those who have no hope. That's what First uh, Thessalonians says. It's a form of grief. You hold that grief. We can grieve these things, but not like those who don't know the Creator, that don't know the power of the one whose throne is righteousness and justice. God's looking for that kind of audacious hope. God's eyes are searching. Who's got that kind of audacious hope? Like, that's the one that attracts my attention. Psalm 33 says this, The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love. God is looking for crazy hope not wishful thinking not hope for the brewers to win the world series hope that Jesus will see Messiah will see justice through to victory willing to wait willing to expect and and willing to work toward justice through to victory that's what Isaiah said it will happen and I will hope for it because I'm expecting to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I'll want it in my lifetime, which is getting shorter every day. So it's got to come more quickly each day. Um, how do you cultivate that? You know, I, I built this uh, summer program years ago for students to go live in slum communities in the developing world, Kolkata and Cairo and Thailand. And so I uh, took staff from InterVarsity there to build this program. Let's go and let's see, can we get students living in slum communities convinced that God lives in those places and that if they could fall in love with these places, which are the least attended to by the church or by the government, like they are on the outside of the peripheral vision of the church and the government, for the most part. If we could get them to live there and then choose to relocate and just become a living presence in these places, I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good for them. I think it'll be good for the their neighbors. And so had spent time and money getting six different places set up. And in October, before the summer, like it just started to fall apart. The staff I'd led there were like, I don't think this is a good idea. Actually, I think it's a bad idea. Actually, I think your insufferable optimism is affecting your judgment here. So I can't do that. Sorry, I'm out. The staff started dropping out. And I was like, I think I should cut my losses, like I've already spent a lot of uh, a budget to get people there and to set these things up. I was wrestling with God, and I heard God's voice, one of those few instrumental times, turning points, where God was like, do you think I don't care about these places, that I don't have plans, that it's outside of my peripheral vision? Set your hope on my convictions, my justice, my love, despite the fact that it looks like this program is falling apart. It was just what I needed. Like, okay, it's not about my wishes. This is a conviction that God has something, both for the students who go and for the people there. And I held on, you know, had to kind of re- there was a little bit of that insufferable optimism, so I had to reconfigure the program. But it was not gonna be based on my wishful thinking, but on this biblical hope that of God's love, God's justice, that's where I was gonna pin it. It came together. And there are hundreds of students now who have relocated, after graduation, into slum communities in the developing world, uh, both as an act of worship, just to serve and love and then to be neighbors and to bring something of the Holy Spirit that they carry in and to receive the Holy Spirit that's in some of these places. That was an important turning point, and it was based on locating my hoper in the one who is able to uh, make it happen and the one who's... um, Conviction and love. It was hoping in God's love more than my ability. That's where we've got to locate our hope in places of despair. So take an area that you have a little hope for. Uh, someplace you're feeling a sense of despair. Despair like for most of you all I have to do is say that word and something comes to mind like there's something that you just like ah I don't have a lot of hope certainly not expectation I want you to ask God to reveal God's perspective on that thing you may need some adjustment in your you know corrective spiritual lenses but like God what's your perspective On this area. Now imagine some miracle of restorative justice or grace in this place, in your lifetime. Like imagine that seeing and a fulfillment of some sort, and picture it. Like actually try to play it out on the screen of your mind. What's it look like? The timing and the specifics may not be spelled out, but you need to learn, and sometimes it helps to sort of play it out, okay, this is what it would look like if it happened redemptively. All right, now maybe release the specifics, but grab onto a sense that God sees, God's heart is for good, there is an Im- immense Power in God's love. Locating your hope in God's love is what you want to do. Now what about your own neighborhood or this neighborhood? Like, is it around the income disparity? Is it about the kind of binge drinking that happens in the student area? Like, this is a really... Alcohol poisoning, serious, serious stuff not just a little buzz like there's a serious drinking issue in parts of this neighborhood and has been for dozens and dozens and dozens of years maybe it's crime or it's achievement gap i've talked about the achievement gap in this neighborhood it's pretty horrific so but, but be specific now look at this verse from psalm 31 Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Your hope is in God, God's justice, God's love. Not your ability or the government's ability, or church's ability. There may be a part for all those. God often mobilizes Governments and people and churches to be part of God's redemptive purposes. But our hope is in the Lord. God sees, God's concern, God intends to act. Picture how God might work through you in that area that you have a sense of hope for this neighborhood. If you like to do embodied worship stuff, I want you to... Uh, make two fish. One of them is like this hope in God. The other is uh, hope in the specifics as you imagine them and the timing as you imagine it. And I want you to open up the hand that has the specifics in it. Like you've got one hand gripped tightly around a sense and a conviction and a waiting and an expectation that God knows, God sees, God is alive, God will work. And I'm releasing any sense of it's going to happen in this way or uh, at this time. And that's an interesting balance. Conviction and expectation. I will see it in the land of the living. I don't know how it will work out. I don't know exactly the timing. Managing that tension. It's like that rope. Kava. That tension of waiting expectantly, yet not knowing some of the specifics. Some of us are tired, right? We're tired of hoping or tired of seeing things not work out. And we need to actively remember God's character and goodness and plans for shalom. The verse I want to leave us with, uh, given to the Israelites as a community, so it's a communal verse, it's the plural you, it's the y'all of Jeremiah 29. We often overly individuate, but is meant for it's meant for this neighborhood, okay? This is a verse for this neighborhood, and for the neighborhood you live in. For your neighbors, even the neighbors that don't know Jesus, this is to the exiles. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. For y'all. Put uh, apostrophe A-L-L in there. Plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. And, of course, the Israelites were told by Jeremiah, you know, pray for the... Welfare for the shalom of Babylon. Like the whole city is going to be blessed because of you. So I like to think of this invitation for a future and a hope uh, broadly. God loves to use those who love God to bring that about. But God's heart is for the, the world, for your neighborhood, and for these neighbors. Yeah, I think it's kind of important for us and your neighbors to know the one in whom we are placing our hope and to believe this person, Jesus, actually lived, bodily rose from the dead, is active, and has authority. Like, that's a great message. Um But God's heart is to bring justice and goodness and God's love for you and for your neighbors and for these neighbors. Don't underestimate. Let me pray for us as you hold tightly to a conviction and expectation for God to move while having an open hand into how and when. Lord, we're grateful on this Mother's Day to be reminded of your maternal heart for us and for our neighbors and for this world. Thank you for that character that we see in the maternal figures in our lives. We receive your care, and we believe you have it for our neighbors and for our neighborhoods. And so while we hold on to your maternal love, expecting maternal action on your part for goodness and justice, we release what it will look like. And we pledge ourselves to strive first for your kingdom and its justice, where we live and where our church is located. In Jesus' name. Amen.